Global Broadcasting Networks presents Coach Talk Radio. Create the time, money, and lifestyle you want with tips, tricks, and techniques that get you started today from some of the best Internet minds in the business. Now here are your hosts, Internet brand strategist Sandra Beck. Hey guys and dolls, this is Sandra Beck and I'm here today with my lovely co-host Angela Breidenbach and we've got a great show for you today. This is part of our writer series and today we're going to be talking about character arcs and we have also a special guest star, Sarah Sundin and we're so excited to have both of you but before we do, we need to do some housekeeping. Angela, share with our audience who you are and why you're qualified to co-host with me on this exciting topic. Wow, I just feel really special for even being your co-host. Thank you. Uh, my, <laughs> my name is Angela Breidenbach, and I am the Christian Authors Network president. I've been a writer um, professionally since about 1999, and I started out with a little bit of journalism, articles, and writing for group magazine as a youth group leader. And then I branched out into going to conferences and writing books and got my agent, which we've um, talked with Tamala Hancock-Murray on an earlier episode, and then started selling uh, historical romance. And so with all of those things kind of going on in my career, I just kept building and building until I had the opportunity to be a speaker and teacher. And I keep writing and doing that all along as well. So I'm just, I'm thrilled to be here. And I'm thrilled as the Christian Authors Net- Network president to be able to bring on, I love the way you said it, Sandra, our guest star. And her <laughs> She name is-, is a star. <laughs> <laughs> she is. Her name is Sarah Sundin. And she's the author of eight historical novellas, novels. And she includes, you know, I'm going to just start that right over. <laughs> it's live radio. This is what you get. Oh, my God goodness see we're not perfect we might look perfect on book covers or on radio you know jackets but in reality we are who we are and you know what we all deserve crowns and we all get to be stars today so because it's my show and i said so (laughs) and the beauty is that's the reason we write we can actually go back and and fix our words which you cannot do on on radio (laughs) but sarah sundin is the author of eight historical novels including anchor in the storm Her novel, Three Waters Deep, was a finalist for the 2016 Carol Award and won the Inspi Award and was named Booklist 101 Best Romance Novels of the Last 10 Years. A mother of three, Sarah lives in California, works on call as a hospital pharmacist, and enjoys speaking for church, community, and writers groups. And now she knows that if I could get through that and stumble over my words, she can do anything, too. Welcome, Sarah. (laughs) Thank you for having me. (laughs) <laughs> I think we're going to change the thing to like goofball, successful working mothers with children, grandchildren and dogs and cats. Talk radio. Yes, yes, that works for me. <laughs> no grandchildren yet, but I fit. <laughs> oh, wow. So character arcs, girls, that's the topic of today. Um, you know, and I'm going to start with you, Angela, because mm-hmm. for some people like me, we might have heard the word character arcs over the years, but not really given a whole lot of thought to them. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us a little bit about what a character arc is? And then I would love Sarah to talk about um, like Anchor in the Storm and one of her characters in, in that character arc so we can have a really good example. So Angela, I'm going to start with you. Oh, uh, I, you know, I really appreciate that you did that because I'm going to give you like a definition and then Ooh. let Sarah get into detail. And, you know, I like to give kind of more visual definitions. So here you go. Um, in your life, 
have you ever done anything you really, really regretted and you really desired to change and do something different or be a different person the rest of the time that you have left on this planet? If you think about it that way, a big mistake something you wished you had never done or a character trait that you you wished you could change and then you really work hard to make that change and become a new person with a new outlook. And that is what a character arc does in a novel. It takes somebody who has a belief system or a mistake or something in their life and throughout the novel, we see that change happen to by the end of the novel, they're a different person, or they're a person who holds a different belief. That is a really good way to explain um, what a character arc is. And it's important in novels that it's not just one character who changes, but the protagonist has to change no matter what and be someone different. And we, as the reader, have to go through that change with them. And by the end of the book, we see them through different eyes and they see themselves or their world or their belief system through different eyes. Would you agree, Sarah? Absolutely. I, I love character arcs because I believe that we are all works in progress and that only changes throughout life the, the progress that needs to be made. So I know I'm constantly changing and um, constantly finding new areas of my life that need fixing. And I like to do the same thing with my characters. And the beauty of novels is that you take a character who has a, an issue or flaw or something in their past that they haven't confronted yet, and then through the plot, you confront them with that issue and force them to come to a situation where they decide to change. And then you make them make those changes, often against their will, and challenge them until they become the person that they're meant to be. I would completely agree. I think that's uh, something that we kind of talk about in our real world is that you have to learn something over and over and over again until you get it right. <laughs> you know? yes. And I think that's what a character arc allows in a novel. And so with, with Anchor in the Storm, whose character did you really feel like you needed to change the most? Oh, I have... In most of my all my books, I always have a hero and a heroine who both need serious change. <laughs> but I'm going to focus today on on Lillian Avery, who's my heroine in the story, and um, she's a fun one because now with when you're looking at character arc, you start with their basic personality of who they are, and that's that's going to be relatively fixed, and then look at their background and what has made them who they are today, and then look at what fears and secrets and problems they have that need to be fixed. And in her case, um, she was born a feisty, independent, strong girl. And then circumstances in her past, she, as a little girl, she lost her leg in a, an accident. And this has reinforced her sense of independence. She sees weakness as something she cannot tolerate weakness in her life. The worst thing she can do is to show people she is weak because they will ruin her. So she has to show herself as being strong and independent in everything she does. And as a result, she is seen as cold-hearted by some people. And she has mm -hmm. embraced that and believes that about herself, that she is cold-hearted. So at the beginning of the story, I have her believing that. 
believing that her only recourse in life is to be strong and independent, and she's cold-hearted, and that's just the way it is. Of course, I can't leave her there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of hard to fall in love when you're cold-hearted. Exactly. (laughs) Well, you know what, though? Sometimes I think people see um, somebody who is strong as cold-hearted, and it's a misnomer. It's It's a misperception. And that someone who is strong um, may really be someone who's very, very gushy on the inside. And to show that to the reader, it, it's a fine line to dance. Wouldn't you agree? It, it is. And it was. And I had to show her um, her deep emotions. And especially through her, I, I started off by showing her in her family where she is warm and loving. And she cares deeply for her parents and her brothers. And she does care deeply. But she has this incredibly tense relationship with her twin sister, which was fun because it went against all the the stereotypes of twins. And um, she's opposite to her twin as far as personality. And they don't get along. And that has reinforced her feeling that she's cold-hearted. But then I sent her to Boston to become a pharmacist. And she is finally going to be independent. And she doesn't have to depend on anybody except the story intervenes and she has to learn to depend on others and she is challenged by new friends and by her love interest, Arch Vandenberg, um, to open her heart and to, to show who she is inside and to develop that warmth that really is inside her. And it's, it's hard for her. It feels, um, it exposes her weakness, which for her is terrifying. Mm -hmm. And, um, so she has to confront that fear of being made weak. And the fun part is that, you know, her greatest fear is being weak. And in the climax, I put her in a physical situation where she is physically weakened and completely vulnerable. And she has to embrace the weakness as strength. And I felt it was a really powerful scene because here's somebody who's, who's rejected her weakness. And now she has to completely embrace it. And that becomes her... Um, how she resolves the situation. I so, okay, that. I'm going to jump in here because <clears throat> as the least successful writer in the group and the one with the most questions, um, I'm just going to pop in and I'll, I'll, I'll be here for the idiot group. Um, when we come back from the break, well, it's hard. I try to keep up with you guys. You know, here I am, college educated, successful in my own career. And then you two girls come on and I'm like, oh, but, 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 but how do you show that without telling it? And how do you, how do you, how do you do this? And, you know, I need an example. I need you to give me concrete example just send me the book highlight what i need to know i'll read it and absorb it i mean it is really hard you know you guys have been doing this a long time so it's natural for you and you know i just needed a definition of character arc and now when we come into the next segment i really want to talk about like how do you show a character arc and not tell a character arc because you know in the last episode and for those of you who haven't seen this come to coachtalkradioshow.com go to toginet.com go to iTunes we're on there under coach talk radio you can find this and like eight other episodes like it but their questions 
that come up and Angela in the last episode we talked about you gotta show not tell well <laughs> if this character is having all this you know conflict I actually took notes girls um she's cold-hearted she saw weakness as a failure then she learns to depend on others and challenge to open her heart and she has to embrace weakness as her strength to get the job done that's how seriously I take what you were saying and I know everybody listening at home today is going to go okay Next up, how do we show, not tell? So I'm visiting today with Angela Breidenbach. You can find her, my lovely co-host, at AngelaBreidenbach.com. That's B-R-E-I-D-E-N-B-A-C-H, like Catherine Bach from the Dukes of Hazard. And Sarah Sundin, S-A-R-A with an H-S-U-N-D-I-N. When we come back from the break, we're going to answer that mystery of how to show and not tell. We'll be back after the break. Dallas Fort Worth area where every spring we seem to get pummeled with hailstorms. What's another name for a thunderstorm? A cockeyed bob. The Guinness Book of World Records states the largest known hailstone in U.S. history was over seven inches in diameter. That's almost the size of a soccer ball. The famous hailstone was found in central Nebraska in June 2003. But if we think the hail's bad here in Texas, I guess it's better than living in parts of Africa, where they average 130 days of hailstorms each year. Other hail-prone areas include India, Russia, China, and Italy. The Aussies call hailstones, drift ice, glazed frost, pancake ice, and frost flowers. I wonder how they measured hail before the invention of the golf ball. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. It is not a myth that healthy, nutrient-dense foods are more expensive than many junk foods. Researchers at the University of Washington found that healthy foods like lean meats and whole grains have increased nearly 30% in the past four years, while soft drinks and candy have only gone up 15%. Since meat is one of the most expensive items that you purchase at the grocery store, it's a good idea to cut back on meat, especially for health reasons. Filling up on fresh fruit and vegetables is a great way to lose weight, keep healthy, and keep food costs down. Eating beneficial, delicious foods keeps you lean, strong, and in good health. It is possible to eat healthy food and keep costs down. Your goal is to lose weight, not money. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Like us on Facebook at Fitness Minute with Annette Hammond. Taking care of business every day. Taking care of and dolls welcome to our episode on character arcs this is the writing series on coach talk radio i am your host sandra beck and my lovely co-host angela breidenbach check her out at angela is helping me and all of 
the world listening today to figure out how to show, not tell. And we're featuring today Sarah Sundin, and she's her website, sarahsundin.com, that's Sarah with an H. And we're talking about her book, Anchor in the Storm, as an example. So I want you guys to go out and buy a copy of this book and listen to the episode today and then read it and see what Sarah's talking about because so many of us learn by modeling. I know, Angela, I have to know what it looks like, takes like, sees like, feels. And when you guys were talking about like this character arc, I could see it in my own life because I'm a big one. I, I, I'm a software, I'm a tech girl, Sarah. So I have like Sandra 1.0, Sandra 2.0. I'm now currently in Sandra 4.0. Um, you know, with this like reinvention of my own software, but that's what you're talking about with these things. But the question I have, and I, I happy to go to either one of you, just, you know, somebody jump in, but how do you show a character arc and not tell it? Cause we learned this thing, remember with, I think it was with, um, with Tamala, the agent that was on, like, don't use the word felt. You can't yeah. use the word felt. <laughs> and I'm like, crap, I went through my own writing and I'm like, I used the word felt like 10 times, including yeah. like an as. Yeah. Um, okay. So what do we do if we can't use the word felt? Um, I want to point one thing out before, before I turn it over to Sarah and um, this is Angie. And by the way, uh, when you were asking your question, you said you needed to touch it, feel it, experience it, smell it, taste it. Well, those are the key things. It's it's the visceral. It's how you experience it with your six senses is how you show something happening to a character without telling. Okay, Sarah, take it away. You know what? I decided I'm going to read a little section because... Um, that seems to, if we talk about show, not tell, how about I show and not tell you? And <laughs> so here I am. I'm trying to show how Lillian wants to be independent and can't stand feeling weak. Um, this is a scene very early in the book, and she is with her, her father, and her father is a boat builder, and they're in his workshop, and she is sweeping up around him, and they're talking one-on-one. And Lillian says... To her father say have you given any thought to my crutches did you look at my drawing you're so clever i'm sure you could make them hinge or telescope so you can fit them in your trunk i hate carrying them on the train hate it i only need them at night when i take off my prosthesis and it looks odd to carry them william he said in that low rolling way of his when he wanted to soothe her you'll be fine she jerked up her gaze but he'd resumed sanding she'd be fine what did he mean by that didn't he realize she didn't want to step off the train in Boston carrying the emblem of her weakness? Not when she'd have to be stronger than ever, living with roommates she barely knew, working for a boss who didn't want her, and pulling fully away from her family's security. She loved her family, but depending on them was beginning to chafe like her prosthesis at the end of a long day. You'll be fine. Dad ran a bare hand over the plank, one eye closed. Lean on the Lord, and you'll be fine. So that was just kind of showing her her drive to be seen as strong and independent, not having any bit about weakness showing to the world, and her father trying to soothe her, and he's also he's giving her what will be the first theme verse about leaning on the leaning on the Lord. You know, there's something to point out there too. Um, if if listeners will go get Anchor in a Storm um, by Sarah Sundin, you can find that. What page was that on, by the way? Um, page 20. <laughs> okay. Page 20. Take that page. Take a highlighter 
and highlight the deep point of view, the internal conversation that's happening in your um, in that story, but in in that character's head. Um, it's really important that you understand that a lot of the showing can happen with internal dialogue. And we were seeing that happen in this page 20 of Sarah's story. Sarah, would you, can you just pull out like two lines of what internal dialogue sounds like um, out of that? Can you find them real quick? Sure, yeah. Um, what did he mean by that? Didn't he realize she didn't want to step off the train in Boston carrying the emblem of her weakness? So that's not something she's saying out loud. Those are thoughts in her head, um, but they reveal her state of mind. She's not going to say that out loud. She doesn't want to reveal just how weak she is, but she's already revealed that through her dialogue, asking dad to make her crutches so they can telescope so she can hide them. Um, he knows she doesn't want to reveal her weakness. Got it. So this isn't like, you know, like sometimes people put this in italics, you know, in, in books. And I get so confused because mm -hmm. I'm like, who's talking? Is it the inner monkey in their head? You know, we all have that monkey chatter. Um, so when you do this, because you're writing from that character's point of view, and I liked what you said, Angela, um, about the deep point of view. We've got your point of view, and then you've got your kind of secret, deep inside point of view. And that's what you were talking about, Sarah, when you said, like, what did he mean by that? You know, now you're revealing her state of mind. Angela, do you have an example from one of your books that you'd like to share? Um, I think one of the things that, yeah... I, I have um, a historical called The Debutante Queen, and it is set when um, Montana became a state. The characters are fictional, but they run around with real people that existed at the time in the real city of Helena, Montana, in 1889. And uh, I'm just going to start. Let's see. Okay, here we go. Um, this is... This is a young lady who is unmarried. Her name is Callista, and the her her carriage driver's name is Charles. And this is important because I'm actually starting uh, at the last page of the first chapter. And this is um, oh, okay. Here we go. <laughs> a lost one, huh? The driver spun a blanket around Leah. Not a bit of the mite could be seen, but a small sigh floated back to Callista. Charles tucked the blanket end under and slid a warmed brick beneath her feet. A tiny head poked out of the bundle from the corner of the carriage. She could be any little girl headed home for an afternoon nap, except for the tangled hair and dirty cheeks. Callista climbed in beside Leah and tossed a furry robe across them both. Home, please. What would her parents do when she brought home not only a child, but one that appeared to live in the gulch gutters? The coach pulled away from the bank building where Mr. Shanahan's impassioned speech held Mr. T.C. Power captivated. Maybe the conversation kept them from noticing anything unusual. Any other day, Callista would love to catch Mr. Shanahan's eye. Many of the city's debutantes thought him quite extraordinary husband material with his congenial personality, good looks, and excellent social connections. But today, he looked up as the carriage passed. Mr. Shanahan's blue eyes warmed her like hot springs soak at the new natatorium as he smiled and tipped his top hat. Callista's mouth went dry. Could he read her nervousness? She smiled with a nodded recognition and slipped the window cover in place and waited, heart thumping hard as cattle running across hard ground. No shout, no chaos on the streets. Callista heaved a sigh as she sent up a prayer of thanks the men hadn't realized Miss Callista Blythe had just stolen someone's child. 
So in that one, you can see the visceral happening, but it's showing, not telling. So we know she's nervous. We know she's attracted to Mr. Shanahan because her mouth went, her, her mouth goes dry. And her internal POV, her deep POV is, could he read her nervousness? That, you know, she smiled with a nodded recognition. So now we see her physically doing something again, slipping the window cover in place. Obviously, she doesn't want to be discovered. And then no shout, no chaos on the streets, but her heart is thumping it hard as cattle running across the hard ground. So it's, I use the word hard twice in that same sentence, and that's called a double. It's, you don't want to use words multiple times unless they're intentional. So you want an intentional double or triple, which means you're using the same word and it's a um, rhetorical device. But as we're doing this, we're starting to see her in her time, in her place, and she's just stolen a child. So it gives you um, a look into the real person. Is that something she would normally do? That's kind of like her call to action, to change. And she's doing it because... And we have to find that out as we go forward. But, it, you know, that's the kind of thing that a character arc does is it shows the change within a person. And then it comes alongside that person as a third party that the reader becomes a part of that story. And a lot of times with fiction, through a character's arc, we can change a heart of a reader. Thoughts? It's so true. I was just sitting here thinking like it it's you you mentioned the six senses. What are the six? Because I can only come up with five. <laughs> <laughs> it's that it's that internal um it's that internal oh can't think of the word. Like, you know, um the ghosting, the and boy, I I hate to say ghosting because yeah, it's that that perception of the world intuition. that mm-hmm. intuition. There you go, intuition. Intuition. Okay, <laughs> so it's see, feel, hear, touch, taste, intuition. Right, and in like a um, a ghost story, for instance, um, it's somebody who can like in the movie Sixth Sense. It is the ability to see that other dimension as well. So there's there's other angles of that sixth sense that perception than just intuition excellent excellent so and i love like i'm just going to wrap it up and take us to commercial break um i love that you talk about writing changing the hearts of the reader because that happens to me all the time in fact as a single mother with two small kids and caring for my 80 year old dad there's a lot of times i just need to pick me up and i can pick up either one of your books and have my heart warmed like you know when you talked about his eyes meeting or who's the eyes meet and then there was like the natatorium like the warm pool oh my god you like i felt like oh you had me at hello (laughs) but those are the reasons that we pick up the books we pick them up to enjoy and to participate but also to have our hearts touched um i'm visiting today on coach talk radio with my lovely co-host angela breidenbach our guest today special guest star is sarah sundin now when we come back from the break we're going to explore a little bit more of these passages because we really want to wring the juice out of this because we've got experts on the show today and i'm going to make every minute count we'll be back after the break
If you could live your life truly standing in a place of peace, joy, and abundance, wouldn't that make your heart soar? Now you can, with Lessons in Joyful Living, with your host, Kimberly Rinaldi, Mondays at noon central. Kimberly Rinaldi, having created a highly successful coaching practice, now teaches Lessons in Joyful Living. She believes in empowering others and that through it, you have the ability to break through any and all barriers, thus allowing you to reach your greatest potential and joyfully step into your life's purpose. What used to take weeks, months, or even years, she can now teach you in a matter of hours with her programs. For more on Kim and her show, go to her website, KimberlyRinaldi.com. That's R-I-N-A-L-D-I.com. Then join us for Lessons in Joyful Living with your host, Kimberly Rinaldi. Join us for Healing with the Marika Method. This is an amazingly informative show to help heal people as well as their horses, dogs, and cats. This show inspires and empowers people to take charge of their own health and their animals' health using the power of diet, nutrition, natural medicines, and lifestyle to heal a variety of health problems. Learn how food impacts all physical and emotional health conditions and how diet and natural medicines are used to heal the body, mind, and spirit. Marika is a health and nutrition specialist, homeopathic practitioner, a gifted medical intuitive and healer, and an author and educator with over two decades of experience in clinical practice for people and their pets. Join our host, Marika Vandewater, every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time, right here on the... Taking care of business. Hey guys and dolls, this is Sandra Beck and this is Coach Talk Radio and we are talking today about character arcs. This is another episode in our writing series. So if you love what you're hearing today, you're going to want to check us out on iTunes. Go to TouchTalkRadioShow.com and also to Toginet, T-O-G-I-N-E-T.com under Coach Talk Radio. You'll find this episode and many others like it that can really, really kickstart your writing career. Now, we were talking about character arcs mm-hmm. and when I think of a protagonist, um, Angela, and correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. that would be the Grinch, like in The Grinch no. Who Stole Christmas, or he's the antagonist, well, right? He's He is kind of the, the protagonist, but he's a negative one. But then he has the character arc that changes. So you're, you're right in that he's the protagonist of the story, because the story is really all about the Grinch and about how he changes. And he's so you're hero. absolutely right. What would you say, Sarah? Hero. He's a dark hero. Yeah, he's a dark he's, hero. He's an anti-hero. Anti-hero. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, this is really good because you guys have demystified some of these things because I hear these terms and I don't know how to apply it. And I'm a big Grinch fan. I could every you know who down in Whoville like Christmas a lot. I could do it you know frontwards, sidewards, backwards, and forwards. <laughs> and I think it's an easy concept for people to understand. So when we talk about a character arc, would it be safe to say that like when the Grinch when it when the narrator said and the Grinch's heart grew three sizes that day that that mm-hmm. would be like emblematic of his character arc. Okay. Absolutely. Cause you know, and Cindy Luhu would be like, uh, she would be okay. So in Sarah's novel, um, anchor in the storm, she has a hero and a heroine and they, they kind of act like the, the hero, the heroine is the main character, right? 
So she, I really like then, stories. Yeah. Okay. So they kind of act as tandem um, protagonists, whereas with in the Grinch, um, he's the protagonist, and Cindy Lou Who is really his little um, catalyst, or his you know that that helps him to change. And is that what her name is, Cindy Lou Who? Yeah, Cindy Lou Who. <laughs> she's kind of, even though she's little, she's kind of serves as a mentor in the story. Usually it's the, right. the, old, the old man, but in this case, it's a tiny little girl that serves as his mentor. And that's an important point that Sarah just brought out. There are specific character archetypes that are important in story. That if you were to like tell our regular life story, there are so many different people and events and things that when you try to tell your own life story, it comes out a big mishmash. But you you really need to drill down to specific character types to create a story that'll flow through in a, in a shorter time than a whole life could. You know, what do you think about that, Sarah? Oh, absolutely. And I, I that's why story structure always fascinates me because you take um, what would be in real life, a mishmush, and you make it fit a, an arc. Mm-hmm. And you have these things happen at certain points and you have that three act structure, which is very satisfying to the soul and you have these character archetypes that come in, and we can all recognize them in our lives. The you know the jokester and the and the mentor and the the antagonist and what I like um, in Christopher Vogler's the, the Writer's Journey, he talks about threshold guardians who you really have to who act like antagonists in your life or in your story, but they're really there to test you. And if you can win them over, they often become on come on your side. So we, we recognize those in our life, and they're very powerful archetypes to have in your story. And the fun thing is to, to spin those. So, you know, the mm-hmm. mentor is, you know, traditionally, you know, the wise old wizard. But, you know, in the Grinch, you've got a tiny little girl. And mm-hmm. it's fun to, to spin those around and play with different and, types. And that's what gives you such a fresh look at it. I mean, okay, let's, let's talk Dr. Seuss. Right. Um, we've got the what is that story about the elephant who um, Horton hears a who Horton hears a who no, I'm all our, over the Seuss. Just just throw it at me. There you go. <laughs> well, Horton, Horton is our protagonist. But um, if he doesn't save the day, then the people that he finally hears that are in that little flower that are in their whole universe are going to be destroyed. And the antagonists are everybody that's after that destruction and you can look at uh, men in black it's the same thing as taking the perception of an entire universe an entire people group or entire um way of being and destroying it and you remember that in men in black that whole universe of many 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 universes existed inside the collar of the cat you know and it's like it's it was the same concept of horton here's a who they used the exact same concept does that make sense? Mm. I'm just, I know. I'm, yeah, I'm trying Nobody to keep up ever over here. Nobody ever in black that it was the modern day Horton Here's a Who, did they? <laughs> no, I, you know, Will Smith just, you know, gained 500 pounds and turned purple. <laughs> there you go. You need the brain of a writer to come up with. <laughs> But seriously, that is how you come up with a fresh concept and you create a character arc. Um, you, you take something that we 
we can identify with and you turn it on its head. Well, in Horton Hears a Who, inside that flower was real life, real world for that, you know, that people group. And outside, they were the aliens. Well, in Men in Black, you have this internal, um, okay, it's like looking in a microscope or into infinity. And it just keeps going on and on and on. And do you remember the part in the movie where we see that one universe and then inside that universe, we see another and another and another? It literally blew our minds when we first saw that in the movie. And so the concept, though, is the same. It's protecting something that's precious. And a character arc, the character, sometimes they hold on to something that is precious, like the Grinch, held on to his preciousness was his Grinchiness and his small heart. And then all of a sudden he goes through and he meets this person who expands his perception of the world. And his heart grew three times that day. And it's the same type of concept of looking at things through different eyes. And that's what a mentor can do in a story is open up that that perception. Um, who's the mentor in your story in Anchor in a Storm, Sarah? Well, it's kind of fun because both Arch and Lillian serve as mentors to each other, which often happens when you have a romantic relationship. You know, you challenge each other and cause each other to grow. But they're also external um, mentors. Um, Lillian has her piano teacher, this sweet little old lady who isn't quite as sweet as we think she is, but she, um, but she really challenges Lillian to open up her heart through music, which is she's always played music mechanically, and that's kind of a symbol of who she is. And she challenges to, her to feel the music and to open up her heart, and so that's very emblematic. Um, and Arch has mentors through. You know, his best friend, Jim, who was actually the hero of the first book in the series. And they all have people in their lives. And sometimes it's just somebody who comes in for one scene and says something and blows them away. Mm-hmm. And something else that's really interesting, too, is to, to take a character and maybe they're a mentor. I just watched a movie that had um, Melanie Griffith and Michael Douglas Jr. in it. I wish I could remember the the name of it, but it was a, it was it's a, a I don't know twenty year old movie, ten year old movie, something like that. Anyway, in this movie, she becomes an inexperienced um, World War Two double Shining agent. Shining through. That's it. I, I, you guys have to understand. You need me on your team because I am chock full of useless knowledge. Go ahead. <laughs> I was like, okay. To clicking through all my Melanie Griffith movies 20 years ago, blah, blah, blah. then you're like Michael Douglas. Oh, it's got to be shining through. Oh Go my ahead. gosh. It's a great World War II movie. And one of the things that's really important about that movie is the person that she believes is her mentor in, in this whole double agent system of being in uh, Germany and stuff turns out to be the antagonist who, you know, I, it's an old movie. So hopefully I'm not spoiling it for anybody, but, so she gives her the information of her Jewish cousins that are hiding in a basement. And when she finally goes to tell her cousins she's got a way to help them out, she finds that they have been captured and are likely dead. And it's an incredibly poignant moment in the movie. But she doesn't know who did it. And then toward the end of the movie, she ends up getting into a battle with, I think the other character's name was Marguerite. And she's this beautiful German girl who totally has you believing that she is um, on the rebel's side, you know, and that she's going to save the day for Melanie Griffith's character. 
And in the end, she admits that she's the one who turned in the German, the Jewish cousins to get them killed. And so there's, you know, this person who you think is a mentor helping all the way through and all of a sudden turns out to be the double agent, you know? So there's ways that you can take things and make them fresh like that. And yet the mentoring or what they were doing was valuable in the process for the other person. You know, but it's a great, great way to um, give a plot twist that happens when you least expect it is to turn your mentor into a double agent. Wow. Okay, so I got to take us to commercial break. This is so fascinating. Um, uh, Let me just give your websites out again. Um, Angela, you're at Angela Breidenbach, A-N-G-E-L-A Breidenbach is B-R-E-I-D-E-N-B-A-C-H. This is killing me. Um, And then Sarah, (laughs) Sarah, go ahead and give your website because I'm it's sarahsunden.com. It's S-A-R-A-H and Sunden is S-U-N-D-I-N. Now, I'm going to ask you, what can, Sarah, if people go to your website, what can they find? Well, they can find information on my books, of course. And um, with the books, I also have lots of um, fun facts and links to, for example, for Anchor in the Storm, I did a tour of Boston and a tour of a World War II destroyer, and they can find that. I have a video of um, my flight in a B-17 bomber. So there's all sorts of fun um, stuff that goes with my stories. She also has a way on there to be able to figure out how to join book clubs, just so you know. Yes, I do have a great page on book, on book clubs. That is really cool because I love your your site. I come from a family of my ex-father-in-law flew a P-38 in World War II and my dad was in the Navy and so he's he's 82 now. And so when I saw your site, I'm like, I was all enamored by the, the planes that you chose. It's really a cool looking site. So, you know, I really encourage everyone to check out Sarah Sundin's site. Now, when we come back from the break, we're going to talk a little bit more about character arcs. And I'd like to go back with character archetypes and talk about how they relate to character arcs because maybe that's an area that you could take a twist or have a what if or and you know Angela in earlier episodes we talked about adding the what if factor into our story so we're going to explain those two topics and talk a little more after the break get nervous riding in an elevator because you're afraid the cable might snap? It's entered my mind more than once. According to Elevator World magazine, on the rare occasion a cable breaks, the car won't hunge plunge to the bottom. This is because elevators have as many as 10 cables holding them up, each capable of supporting a fully loaded car. Sometimes I feel a little mischievous in elevators. Next time you're feeling like a rapscallion, try one of these little jokes. When there's only one other person in the elevator, tap them on the shoulder and then pretend it wasn't you. Push one of the buttons and pretend it gave you a shock. Or maybe start a sing-along. What's a word for a person who thinks he's funny but no one else does? Vitzelsucht. 
I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Word. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Eating fish can be delicious and healthy if you choose wisely. Fresh fish is a lean protein that is typically low-calorie and very satisfying. But when fish is breaded, fried, or drenched with butter, it becomes an unhealthy, calorie-dense food, especially when you order fish in a sit-down or fast-food restaurant. The greasy breading and creamy sauces can destroy the nutritional value. So make good choices when eating fish. Grilled sole, tilapia, or trout is mouth-watering and good for you. Salmon is abundant in omega-3 fatty acids, is light and scrumptious when poached, grilled, or pan-seared. So forego the restaurant fish entrees and opt to cook fresh fish at home. You don't need to be a seasoned cook to prepare a simple fish dinner. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Taking care of business every day. Taking care of business every way. Taking care of business. It's all mine. Taking care of business. Working overtime. Woo! Taking care of business. Hey, guys and dolls. This is Sandra Beck, and this is Coach Talk Radio, and we are visiting today with two outstanding authors, and we're going to want to make sure that you guys get copies of their book and highlight and follow along and see what these gals are talking about because it is so important. Angela, can you give the title of your book and where people should buy it? The one we talked about today. I know you have many. Okay. <laughs> it's called The Debutante Queen, and it is available on Amazon, on my website. It's available in an a uh, collection called Frontier Hearts, and there's a big contest going on right uh, now through September 30th. Um, oh, that might be too late for this show. <laughs> and it's, yeah. uh, cut that out. Or, <laughs> or, or October. These are evergreen, so they really can go on anytime. Well, there you go. Um, anyway, this Frontier Hearts has six authors and six books in it, and The Debutante Queen is one of those books. It's historical romance set in Montana. And it's also going to come out in paperback very soon um, through Ingram. So thank you for asking. Oh, great. All right, Sarah, tell us about your book and where we can find it so we can follow along in today's masterclass on character arcs. Sure. My novel is called Anchor in the Storm, and it's available at your local bookstore. If it isn't, ask them to order it because we love to keep those local bookstores in business. But it is available online at all the major outlets also. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. So I want to ask a question because I'm here like the idiot in the cabinet with all the questions and my like 10 pages of notes. You would think that I'm not a radio host, but like, you know, a college student, I think I've scribed everything you guys have said this episode. Um, (laughs) But one of the questions I had, I want to go back to archetypes because, you know, I looked up archetypes on the internet while you guys were talking and there was like a bunch of different archetypes. And then I was like, gosh, do you think, can you mix and match them? Like how many archetypes do you need in a book? And, you know, I'm going to go to Angela first about the mix and matching. And then I would love Sarah for you to chime in about that before we talk about how many archetypes you need in a book. Okay. So (laughs) mixing and matching is really about more creating characters that serve the story. And you can have um, as many archetypes as the story needs, but you don't want to have too many. So, for instance, if you need a mentor and you need a best friend for her to talk to and you need um, 
somebody who just happens to come along on the street mm-hmm. in a certain um, uh, chapter to, to say something important, you don't want to have a lot of that happen with three different characters. What you want to do is mishmash those characters to use and serve the story purpose so that you don't have a hundred characters in, say, a 40,000 or a 60,000 or even an 80,000 word novel. What you really want is to have a character create multiple purpose use in that story so that the story can continue without constantly introducing new people. If you constantly introduce new people, you start to lose your reader on trying to figure out, now who's this guy? Now who's this guy? Wait a minute. And they start flipping back and forth between pages. That's why fiction is a little bit more controlled than real life. In real life, we meet people all the time, and we never have to remember them again if they have only met us in a coffee shop once, you know, serving us a cup of coffee. That person could only be there for that purpose in our life. But when you do that in a story, you lose the reader because they can't figure out who's doing what and why. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Sarah, what do you think? Um, Well, this is where it's kind of fun because... um, the archetypes can become stereotypes. You know, the, the wise old wizard is the mentor. But if you mush together some of the archetypes, it also breaks the stereotype role. Um, for example, in Anchor in the Storm, Arch Vandenberg is the hero. Jim Avery is his best friend. He's also the brother of Lillian Avery, who is Arch's love interest. Now, in the story, Jim definitely serves as the buddy. He is a joker because he's got a great sense of humor. They're the ones they can bounce back and forth and joke with each other. So he serves the jokester role. He also serves as the mentor role. He's the voice of conscience. Um, he, he tells Arch when he's getting off base at, at a very crucial moment. He actually slugs Arch in the jaw because he's gone so far offline. Um, that was kind <laughs> of the right um, And also he serves as what we call a threshold guardian. He stands in Arch's way with his goal of winning Lillian's heart. He tells Lillian, or he tells Jim, stay away from her. I don't mm-hmm. want you being near her. She's been hurt. Um, I know how you throw away girls right and left, and stay away from my sister. You know, typical protective big brother. And Arch has to prove himself that he really has Lillian's best interests in mind. And eventually he, he wins Jim over and gets his blessing to pursue Lillian. So he serves as, all, it seems like an antagonist role, but it's called a threshold guardian, where he has to prove himself to get past him. So Jim serves three roles in that story. I think that's a really important point, is um, that when they're serving those roles, it also, for that character has to make sense to the character. So there's a lot of art that happens behind the scenes when you are creating a character that serves different roles because their arc may be much smaller, um, but they still some in some ways have it. And what I mean by that is, so this, this character who ends up playing the, the threshold guardian or s- trying to stop them from going through may end up changing their mind. And then coming alongside the protagonist and helping them actually get there, get their goal. But you have to create a reason that is believable of why that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And that was fun to do. And, and really, Jim does not change much in this story. He, had his, he was the hero of the previous book. 
he did his big changes in that story. And in this story, he is more of a static character, which is appropriate. He's not the hero. Mm-hmm. But he does, he has to change his ideas about Arch. He has to change his ideas about Lillian. And um, he has to back off a little bit from the protective big brother role while still being there for his little sister. I'm going to ask one question because we need to get into this really quick. And it's just a quick answer if possible. But Sarah, give us your definition of what's the difference between a plot and a character arc. Well, the plot is the external things that happen in the story. So, in this story, I have a drug ring that the my pharmacist heroin unearths, and I have Arch fighting U-boats on a destroyer. And so I have all these external things that are happening. And the plot is also the romantic. You know, he meets her, he falls in love with her, um, she resists him, but she starts to warm up to him. So those are all the external things that are happening. The character arc is what's going on inside as both Arch and Lillian have their assumptions challenged. And so as he's fighting U-boats, he is being challenged to change. And as they're falling in love, they're both being challenged to change. I think that's the most important thing is that it's it's the challenge to change. And something I want to also bring out in, you brought up Christopher Vogler, and one of the, my favorite tools is like the Heroes to Journeys or, you know, by Michael Haugen, uh, Christopher Vogler. And it, there's that call to action. But right before that, when you started your character arc with Anchor and Storm, you set her in her normal place in her real world normal place and you made her a sympathetic character so that the reader wanted to bond with her and go on this journey this arc with her and then when she comes to the end they still have to want to bond with her true that is absolutely right that you have to in the first the first chapter is always such a challenge because you have to make them sympathetic so that the reader wants to be along with them you know, be on the ride with them, but you also have to show the seeds of change. Why does she have to change? What flaws does she have? What what lies is she believing? Um, and that's where um, it's fun to plant those and show that she's a work in progress and you want to get on the ride because you want to see her change. And so are we. We are writers and we are still, as people, a work in progress. Back to you, Sandra. <laughs> Oh, you know, I was just sitting here like, you know, listening like this makes so much sense. And I think, um, you know, as writers, you know, for me, I'm a new writer as opposed to you guys seasoned writers, but I'm starting to see the world very differently. I'm starting to see like, you know, like the people in my life as archetypes. I'm starting to see where, you know, people can be mixed and matched and, and created together and used as characters and how, you know, if we have that visceral reaction of like, you versus we want to root for them. Because every once in a while, they'll give, some writer will give a character a fatal flaw that'll turn me off and I don't want to read the book. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's yeah. an important thing to note. But every character needs a fatal flaw because if they are too perfect, um, we can't bond. Right, yeah. and they're boring. Yeah, mm-hmm. and we want to gag. Yeah, <laughs> we know people like this in our lives, and we do not like them. We do. They run the PTA and or the PTO and the music organizations and things like that. But um, no, oh, we do not like them, Sam. I am. We not- do not like them, Sam. I am. 
<laughs> Back well, to the Dr. Seuss thing. <laughs> absolutely. Well, I got to tell you, I'm going to finish up and close out the show. I want to thank you both um, for being my guest today. And, you know, five years ago, almost to the day, I was working on something and I was highlighting it and I drew all over my face by mistake. And then I went to pick up one of my kids from school and I walked up and not one of those women told me that I had pink Sharpie marker all over my face. Like I was like <laughs> rubbing my eyebrows, whatever. They just looked at me like something that had crawled onto their salad. And I, I never <laughs> forgot that day. And now, you know, my life is a lot better. I'm through my divorce. I buried my mom. I got myself back on financial footing, got my company back on track. I had a total implosion, Sarah, like crazy. And that would be the dark moment. That would be the dark moment in my life. But one of the things that I recognized in today's show is that that made me human. That made people, even though they looked at me at the first time, not so nice, but like somebody will remember that day, like, oh my God, I remember when you came and you like, you know, I look like the homeless person picking up my kids. But it also made me human. It made me relatable. And so when we have flaws, I think it's hard for all of us to look at our flaws. And I like to share that flaw to anyone listening today, because I know there's somebody sitting there, you know, tired from raising kids, feeling like the world is rolling over them rave after rave. Just know like any character in Angela and Sarah's books, you can overcome, you can keep going. I'm living proof. Angela's living proof. Sarah's living proof. Check out their books. Go to Amazon. Angela Breidenbach. Look her up. Sarah Sundin, look her up. We will be back next week with another in our writing series. So you're not going to want to miss this. Find us on iTunes, toginet.com and coachtalkradioshow.com. Thank you for listening. On behalf of Sandra Beck, we want you to get out there today to make money with less time and effort so you can live the life you want. Tune in next week for more tips, tricks, and techniques from Coach Talk Radio.